This isn't just a competing model, biblical counseling. This is a whole paradigm of life, of wisdom and pearls and jewels and treasure and the implications for life. Welcome to Biblical Counseling in Action. I'm Steve Byers, and this is a podcast that addresses questions like, how do these principles penetrate every facet of local church ministry? What does it look like when biblical counseling starts to impact the youth ministry, or our ladies' Bible studies, or our men's ministries, or the way leaders function together, or the way decisions are made in the church? And what does it look like in the lives of everyday church members who have been trained, or maybe who have been counseled, but now they're continuing to live out these principles in everyday life? That's what this podcast is all about. Welcome back to Biblical Counseling in Action. Today we're joined by Pastor John Henderson. John's the Associate Pastor of Counseling and Family Ministries at University Baptist Church in Fayetteville, Arkansas. He also serves on the Association of Biblical Counselors Board of Directors and the Council Board for the Biblical Counseling Coalition. I've had the privilege of knowing John now for a number of years, and he's one of the men that's a little bit younger than me, but someone for whom I have just incredible respect as I've served together on the BCC board, John, with you. You know, there's been a number of times in our board meetings where I've just said, as I've watched you and Deepak Raju and, and others on our board just interact, and I've said, I'm just so thankful. Jeremy Pierre, I'd say the same thing. And just so thankful for the wisdom that God has given you, the graciousness, the Christ-likeness. And I am just so thankful for so many others that God has brought into the biblical counseling movement and for how my life and my ministry has been enriched, just even personally, as I've watched the men and women that God just continues to use. And, you know, I never really thought about that when I was in Bible college of how delightful it would be not just to serve in a church, but also to have friends throughout the country and to some degree the world, people that we get to serve the Lord together with. And it's a challenge to me, and it's also an encouragement to me. So, John, I appreciate you as a friend, and I'm really glad you're willing to come and talk on our podcast today. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate the invitation. Glad to be here. And even you sharing that, I I hope you and Others, as you said, of the generate, you know, first, second generation of biblical counseling leaders, you know, as you see it, are able to see just how many of us are the fruit of your prayers and yeah. your labors and just God's faithfulness in taking the seeds that you have all sown, and we get to reap the benefit of that. And so I'm one of those that have come up under so many of the books and articles and teaching of you men that have sort of paved the way. It is interesting getting older. You know, I'm in my 60s now, and you teach at conferences and in different places, and you write, and you're hoping that that's going to have an impact in some way, shape, or form. But I don't know that you think a lot about, now, what will that person be like, that man or that woman? What will that be like? What will that do relationally? And so now I'm at an age where I get to see some of the answers to that question. So you're just a a great, great encouragement to me and to to so many. Can you tell us a little bit just about the ministry that you're involved in? Yes, so serve, as you shared, as an associate pastor at University Baptist Church in Fayetteville. Counseling and family ministries are some of the specific areas, so at a very high level, overseeing family ministries. We have assistant pastors, pastoral assistants that handle children's ministry, youth, families. 
But then at a more specific hands-on level, I'll help oversee the counseling ministries of the church. And so that goes from the counseling training and equipping that we're doing to the overseeing of the men and women who feel gifted and are following that road of being trained as counselors just to minister the word to one another. And then leading just a team of leaders over for men's ministry, women's couples, and just providing biblical counseling and care in the context of life. But then probably the most significant thing I do is I just serve as a pastor elder. And so just all the labor of eldering that Mm. goes into shepherding and teaching and training and ministering and uh, just caring for the flock of God that he's entrusted to us. Can you tell us how you got involved in biblical counseling? Because I think your journey is a bit different than people like myself. And so can you talk to us about that? Yeah, yeah, it is. uh, And just God's providence, I think, an exciting journey, but an unusual journey, started in pure secular psychology and counseling. And so you've probably read some of the different views of counseling ministry books on Mm -hmm. just secular counseling to levels of explanation to integrationism to Christian psychology to biblical counseling. Well, I I journeyed through all of them Hmm. on the way here, started just in pure secular psychology, working on a doctorate, and it was in those years that the Lord just in His grace, humbled me, crushed me, just, yeah, through personal crisis and trouble and seeking answers and help through the very organizations that I was learning and being equipped by. So Mm -hmm. going to professors, going to therapists, just seeking help and answers and just drinking sand mostly and Mm -hmm. coming through that process pretty disillusioned and feeling the emptiness and the shallowness of the world's wisdom and answers. And at the very same time, the Lord and His promise just brought several pastors and good friends in a local church uh, in Texas into my life who just cared for me, mm-hmm. ministered the Word to me, spent time with me, began to ask the kinds of heart-penetrating questions that needed to be asked, and and not just scolding or guilting or shaming, but just bringing me into the Word of God, showing me how the gospel of Christ began to connect to the details of my life, and just light started to come on in you know, hope started to be restored and started to feel levels of joy and see fruit of obedience in my own life, fruit of repentance, things that just had been absent, and just all the promises of God beginning to, over years, sort of bear effect. So how old were you when that was happening? Early 20s, so 22, 23, 24, and that was early in graduate school. And so what that did is create immediately this significant tension and conflict for the rest of my years of PhD studies of sort of on the one hand, wanting to apply myself to what I was learning, wanting to take my doctoral work seriously and put myself fully into it. While at the same time, people start feeding me journal biblical counseling articles. Oh, isn't that something? Books and David Pallison and Paul Tripp and Ed Welch and Jay Adams and all these other... And so I'm reading all this in the right hand and reading all this in the left hand. I'm experiencing all this on the right hand, yet experiencing a different sort of thing in the context of a local church. And just began to see, even experientially, that these are two different worldviews. These are two different ways of seeing people and Mm -hmm. trouble and change. And so by the time I was finishing... My doctorate and graduating, I thought, I can't be a psychologist. Isn't that something? I think, I've, I, think I want to be a pastor. Hmm. But I didn't, didn't know what that meant at the time. And so that's when from secular sort of psychology to kind of a levels of explanation view, where I, during early years I was trying to make sense of it all by just separating it all out, making it about very different things. But then slowly moved it more into integrationism and was trying to make sense of those worlds by just 
how do I create a blend of this hmm. that honors Scripture, honors the Christian faith, and yet still sort of builds it from sort of a secular psychological framework uh-huh. and foundation, which is where I really thought most of the goods were. And But then quickly began to realize, okay, this isn't going to work or isn't sustainable. And even going into Scripture and seeing where, okay, God is saying it's not going to work. Hmm. And so moved more into then Christian psychology and Robert C. Roberts and Eric Johnson and, and others that were really helpful to me. And, okay, how do you get rid of sort of the stuff that isn't good in secular psychology, but yet not get rid of the idea of psychology hmm. and build from the ground up a truly Christian psychology that has the research engineering in it, that has the kind of scientific methodological approach. But then, yeah, just the Lord and His care and providence said, yeah, we're not stopping here either. We're, and just kept <laughs> driving me forward to the next door that when I opened it, I realized, okay, this isn't just a competing model, biblical counseling. This is a whole paradigm of hmm. life, a paradigm of ministry that what God gives to us in His Word is it's a vast ocean of wisdom and pearls and jewels and treasure. And the implications for life just keep going. Mm. And so just, yeah, just the Lord, He was just doing all that at one time and in ways I think that I didn't even see at the time. So what was it about the... Because you're telling me things. I've known you for a long time, but I've never actually heard what you just said. I've wondered... How did God build John? Because I know he built you different than he built me from the perspective of just trajectory and education and life experience. I've never had the opportunity to hear this before. What was it about the Christian psychology piece that you thought, you know, I I can't stop there. I have to keep moving. What, What was it about that? So at one level, it was, okay, what were really the mechanism for arriving at the truth? is still in my hands hmm. so strongly. It's still the... There's no such thing as a pure scientific method. There's hmm. just no such right. thing as you know taking a psychological mechanic and arriving at something truly Christian hmm. in approach mm-hmm. or in what the content and where it lands, number one. Number two, it's still to me, in my brief time even in reading... And again, I'm not an expert in that area, but I was still left with there's just so much more in these passages of Scripture than Christian psychology is drawing out, that there's just so much more wealth, so much more wisdom. It still felt like we were giving up too quickly Hmm. on the Bible and thinking, okay, the Scripture doesn't really get into the details of what we need it to do, so we, we need to also, you know... And so I think it was some of those pieces that still I was not, didn't feel like I was on strong ground moving forward. Yeah, you know, you mentioned David Paulison. It's amazing how many people have come on this podcast and who have talked about the influence of David Paulison. I remember, I think it was 1987 when he wrote an article that was called Which Presuppositions? He quoted Cornelius Van Til, a great professor at Westminster, who said formally, there is no such thing as epistemological neutrality, but then kind of boiled that down for those of us who weren't nearly as smart as he was, but all facts are interpreted facts. So there is no such thing as pure secular psychology that does not have some presuppositional background that is at least questionable. It's amazing how David was able to put that 
into words in ways that challenged many of us. And one of the things I've appreciated about the journey is, is number one, appreciating those men and women who were just so influential in teaching, training, Mm -hmm. equipping that gave me a place to land that was not just making sense, but was truly full of hope and encouragement and the word of God and the gospel and could make sense of the world in a faithful way. But I think the other thing, it, it just helps me appreciate, I understand the attraction of some of these other areas hmm. and that it's not easy to move across all that terrain and land in biblical counseling. And so that hmm. when I'm sitting and speaking with any particular brother or sister in any particular one of those areas, just to have a sense of compassion for, you know, it's a mercy of God. It's a kindness of the Lord. It's His providence. And in seeing, okay, there's something in Christian psychology that is attractive hmm. and interesting, and it makes sense to people. There's something in integration that is attractive and makes sense to born-again believers and followers hmm. of Christ. And, and there's a part of me that understands that. I don't agree. It's not where I landed, but it's hard. It was, for me, seven or eight years of that very process unfolding that when I look back now more and more, I see, okay, and it wasn't me unfolding it. Yeah. And you know, now I understand a lot more about what you bring into our board conversations at the BCC when we're just evaluating various issues. Because for me, I came to know Christ. I immediately went off to Bible college, got married, immediately hit seminary. That's when I learned about biblical counseling, fell in love with it, went off to Westminster and got a doctorate in biblical counseling, and boom, came here to faith. So it was very much the trajectory of biblical counseling, biblical counseling, biblical counseling. You came in an entirely different process, but I really believe in the providence of God. What you therefore bring to these kinds of conversations is entirely different and so very, very helpful. And we need it all, right? It's just every member of the body contributing what the Lord has given them to contribute. Hmm. I think then you have a rather unique perspective of the biblical counseling movement, and I'm very interested in hearing what you're encouraged about regarding where the movement is today, what concerns you about where the movement is today, and then if you can speak into what should we be thinking about regarding the future as we're trying to develop, as we're trying to grow. From your somewhat unique perspective, what are you most concerned about? I think one of my, I mean, I start with an encouragement that leads to some of the concern. I mean, one encouragement is I think it's getting harder and harder to define and know what's exactly happening Mm -hmm. across the board because it's just become so broad. Yeah. There's so many generations of those committed to biblical Mm -hmm. counseling and to the personal ministry of the word. But it's happening in churches, it's happening among laity, it's happening in formal professional counseling settings, it's happening across the world, it's happening in schools and in homes, that that the breadth of writing that is happening and reading that is happening, the sheer, think about how many seminaries now are embracing a faithful, pure version of biblical counseling training and equipping, the kinds of books and topics that are being covered and written faithfully and well by those who identify themselves as biblical counseling. And and then just across the world, the churches and organizations that are in leaders that are being developed and producing really good work. It's harder and harder to sort of feel like you get your hands around it all. Hmm. 
where I hope pretty soon we're going to stop using the word biblical counseling movement just because it's just too big to use such a small word Hmm. to capture how deeply and broadly it's pushed into so many different corners. And so to me, that's really encouraging. But then what that always leads to is a diversity of approaches and things that people are experimenting with and wondering about Mm -hmm. and trying to be biblical counseling and yet push into this corner that nobody's quite thought about this way before, try to tackle this issue that nobody's quite written on before. And then like going through puberty or just your body, it just can get clunky (laughs) and and you just start stubbing knees and toes and falling over things. And, or as you're probably seeing, you know, two, three, four generations into the family. And now rather than just 17 people at the family reunion, there's 148. Absolutely. And then in a couple of years, there's 300 and, and then it gets harder and harder to control Hmm. what's happening in all those places. And so, which is a good thing, but it can be a source of heartburn sometimes Mm -hmm. because if you're have a certain vision or view of, okay, what biblical counseling is or how it ought to look or the forms it ought to take or, and how it ought to talk about things that you end up hearing things and being brought into interactions with individuals within biblical counseling that you go, okay, I don't think I share that Mm -hmm. view to the diversity that starts to be created can be unsettling. So that's what so one encouragement but then also brings some of that concern. I'm encouraged by how many churches are taking up the personal ministry of the word and equipping every member of their church to care well for one another. And and how biblical counseling is turning into lots of other words as well. Hmm. To just it just means counseling in churches or the personal ministry of the word or speaking truth in love or just one anothering in the body of Christ. And so to see it get into the kind of grassroots of a lot of churches, into their DNA, that's really encouraging. Hmm. But then a concern is the temptation always to just do it fast and and to miss how long it takes, Hmm. how hard it is, how much oversight and direction is needed to actually train men and women well to minister the word faithfully hmm. in counseling, that there's no cutting corners, there's no microwave. Mm-hmm. It's years and years and years and years. And so, I so I'm encouraged by how it's getting into a lot of churches. But then, I hope we're not sacrificing quality hmm. and wisdom in how we're doing the equipping and the training. Do you believe there's more and more training opportunities out there so that if someone takes you up on that challenge you just gave, go slow, isn't it also encouraging that there's more resources than ever that people can grow from, they can mature by? There's also more conferences than ever before. And so if someone takes you up on that, there's reasons to believe that you can get there easier than ever before because of the number of resources that are out there. I think so. I mean, just in the 25 years I've been in it, it's changed so much in terms of the breadth and the depth. I mean, what seminaries are offering now and whole degree programs Mm -hmm. and online, in person is much more significant than it ever used to be. I've different, again, that's encouraging. And I have different sets of concerns. I have concerns about 
any kind of online counseling yep. is that's the primary way that somebody is learning counseling. The mm-hmm. idea that you can get a PhD in biblical counseling without actually sitting with people very much, hmm. that you can get a master's in biblical counseling and not ever really be supervised by the people who are training you. Mm-hmm. And so the online model is a little bit concerning. Mm-hmm. I realize you can you can take some classes that way, but I hope, again, in, in pragmatism and expediency, mm-hmm. we're not losing the quality of developing that has to be there. So there are a lot more opportunities. The organizations that offer training and equipping, the curriculum that's available, the books that are available, the articles that are available, the number of leaders, men and women, who are just available to help. And where some people see tension in all the different organizations that offer training, all the different bill counseling organizations that offer certification, I just see just options. Hmm. And so... Yeah, find one that fits mm-hmm. for you and pursue that and throw yourself into it and learn and grow and trust the Lord as he grows you in those ways, because I think the opportunities are, are many. You're also a big proponent of, as various individuals in the biblical counseling movement interact, that it's not just about the product, are we going to articulate a correct view about whatever but also the process, the relational aspect of this. I think that's one of the reasons you're involved in the Biblical Counseling Coalition. And I've seen you and others on the board and on the council try to adjudicate decisions, but in a gracious, godly fashion. Can you speak about why that matters to you so much and what you think about it? Yeah, I was convicted recently just reading 1 Corinthians 1, where Paul is pointing out, you know, one of you says, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas, I'm of Paul, I'm of Christ. And what stood out to me the time reading was, well, why didn't the I am of Christ people win? <laughs> why is he reproving them? Uh-huh. Why are they included in it? And it struck me that, wow, we really can have the right answer and be completely wrong hmm. because pride is what's motivating it. Hmm. We can have the right answer, the right opinion, and cause division hmm. in the body of yep. Christ. And that Paul is getting after the heart, the posture, that because you would have thought he would commend the I am of Christ people. Mm -hmm. They had the right answer, but they were using it as a means to exalt themselves over others, as Mm -hmm. a means to satisfy their thirst for, you know, being preeminent or whatever it might have been. And here Paul's going to reprove them. So that the scripture talks that way to us about being very careful about thinking you stand lest you fall. Be very careful about what you do with knowledge because Mm -hmm. it puffeth up. Mm -hmm. And so, but love builds up. And so no matter what conversations we're getting into, what we're trying to tackle together, that just love has to be the controlling dynamic. Mm -hmm. This is the one thing I know we can't get wrong, that we can get the answers right and get that wrong and be wrong. Mm -hmm. As Paul's going to say to the Corinthians, I could speak with the tongues of angels. You know, and but if I don't have love, it's just a noisy gong. And so just how much the Lord in his word seems to care about for us as his children, how we go about the conversation, what our posture of heart is in the conversation, how we speak, why we speak, and not just having right answers. Um, though I'm committed, we need to love the truth and delight in the truth. But then the Lord always has a way of making love control what we do with it mm-hmm. and how we do it. And so to me, the number one, it's what does it mean to please God when we talk about all this? And that that has to, anytime we all gather, no matter what we disagree with, it's okay, how do we please God? Mm-hmm. 
Number two, how do we build each other up? How do we actually encourage and edify and not tear down? But then three, how do we talk about hard things and say hard things, hear hard things, learn together, grow together with a commitment to being faithful to each other Hmm. as well? And that's something I pray for for all of us in, in biblical counseling and as leaders as we meet and write and talk and gather that we'll realize how hard it is to have hard conversations and how much we have to commit to it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to see it through any marriage, any family, any group of friendships. There's just so many seasons where you're just not seeing it eye to eye. Yep. And you have to, the way out is through, not back. Hmm. You know, yeah. But. Well, and is it also true that if there's a commitment on the part of leaders, but participants in the movement that if you have a concern, talk to the person, not about them, and try to have a meaningful conversation with them and try to understand where they're coming from instead of popping off with whatever and end up being divisive. We have to, as a movement, be able to speak the truth and love with each other. And you're really, in some ways, defining the the practical objective of the Build Counseling Coalition, the practical objective, hopefully, of many of the different ways that we would gather as leaders is let's talk directly to each other, which is what God would call us to do Mm -hmm. is rather than about... And it just changes when you get to know someone. It does. When this becomes a friend, when this is someone that you've spent time with and you know them, you've come to appreciate them, their family, their ministry... Like you shared earlier, just the journey that the Lord took them down to mm-hmm. get them to where they are, all the different factors and the burdens they carry, the tasks that the Lord has entrusted them, the thing that, that God has called them to do that he maybe hasn't called me to do. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's something very presumptuous when we judge very quickly. I mean, it's not just judging the person, but we're actually judging, we don't realize it, God by judging what they may or may not be doing. I'm not talking here about somebody who writes something heretical or sinful or does something evil, but you know, when Job's friends show up and his whole life is burned down mm-hmm. and he's covered in boils and sitting there scraping them and they start well, they rip their clothes, they sit with him and they don't say a word for seven days, that's which right. is, that's convicting. <laughs> it is. Like it's hard a time as we may give it the is. friends, like they started really well. But then they came with a set of assumptions of, okay, here's why he is where he is. Mm-hmm. And so now the whole conversation after that's going to be controlled by, okay, Joe, you got to, you did something wrong. Because mm-hmm. this, this only happens because God is judging your sin. And, and they didn't understand what God was doing. They weren't in heaven right. to witness that conversation between Satan and God. Mm-hmm. Job didn't know. They didn't know. And so by the end of the book, as you know, the, like God says, all right, Job, you're going to offer sacrifices on their behalf. Yep. They're going to bring sacrifices you know, because they've spoken wrongly of me. Hmm. What's amazing is they don't have to offer sacrifices because they were unkind to Job. Hmm. It wasn't, you know, they really treated you bad. They, that was really unfair. And so bring a sacrifice. because No, it's all about they spoke wrongly of me. Because of how they judged what was happening in your life, that's actually a statement about what I was doing. Yeah. And so that always has been a corrective for me as well when I enter into a situation or interacting with a brother or sister where I, I don't know exactly what God's doing hmm. in them. I don't know what he's leading them mm-hmm. in or toward. I don't understand. Hmm. And so I, 
how do I take the time to get to know them well enough, the situation well enough, the history well enough? And the more I do that, the more I appreciate what God's doing in them. And so I feel like as yes, leaders in biblical counseling, just extending that same courtesy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So let's say there's somebody listening to this and they're in the middle of the journey that you described. Maybe they were trained in secular thinking, but they're also a committed Christian and they're becoming increasingly uncomfortable with some of their training, maybe even with some of their practice, but are thinking, boy, if I let go of some of those things with which I'm not comfortable, where's that's going to leave me professionally, vocationally? What would you say to that person? I think number one, commit for sure, be a student of the Word of God. Hmm. No matter where you are or what you're doing, pour yourself into it. Because everything else is going to pass away. This is going to abide forever. Yep. There's just certain claims that Scripture makes about itself that no textbook anywhere in the world can make, hmm. or anything you might learn anywhere. And so if you're going to bank your life on something, you're vocation on something, your whole worldview on something, bank it there. Hmm. And don't just do a cursory sort of walk through, but be a student, you know, where Ezra talks about he had set his heart, you know, to study hmm. the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach it statutes and ordinances in Israel. And there's no wonder the Lord accomplished great things through him. Like he set his heart to that. Hmm. And so I think no matter where you are on the journey, set your heart to be overwhelmed by just the Word of God. And, and then connected to that, really find a faithful local church mm. where the Word of God is preached faithfully, where the gospel is proclaimed faithfully, where Jesus is exalted and central, where people are clumsily learning to love each other, mm. and where there's just a commitment to shepherding and faithful eldering and preaching and teaching and then just ministry to one another and get into that community of believers, that church, and serve and learn and grow. Because then no matter where you are, the, the Bible's clear, you need that. Hmm. Ephesians 4, this is how you grow. Hmm. You, you grow in the body of Christ yep. together. You're not going to grow detached. Hmm. And so in the Word, in the church. And then I would say, thirdly, you know, really pay attention to the fruit of whatever it is you might be doing. Interesting. And don't, there's a moment I found that came mul every single gateway I walked through where something in me is clear. It's like, this is not deep. Hmm. This is not getting to the heart of people. This is really not giving the kind of hope, the kind of joy, the kind of peace that is lasting hmm. and abiding. So I would just say be honest yeah. with yourself in those moments. Huh. Be honest with when you're feeling this is empty. Don't shove that aside. Don't, That's interesting. Don't commit to numbing your conscience when it feels a bit dirty, Yeah. when something feels off. Because whatever that is, you don't want to make a habit of quieting that down. Yeah. But go seek wise counsel about it. Hmm. Go seek pastoral guidance. And then connected to that, yeah, read the David Powelsons, read Paul Tripp, Absolutely. read you know, Ed Welch and Steve Byers and yep. Mike Emlett and the range of resources that are available now and authors now and Elise Fitzpatrick and Darby Strickland and there's so many authors and individuals that are producing just really 
good, faithful works that that'll help. Well, John, hey, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. This has been really rich, really helpful, and I really appreciate your ministry. Very, very thankful for you. Thanks for having me. You can check out more about our ministry at faithlafayette.org, or if you're interested in receiving biblical counseling training, go to faithlafayette.org slash conferences. You can find these presentations wherever you normally access your podcasts, and you could really help us just to get the word out by telling your friends on social media that these presentations are going to be available. Our hope and our prayer is that this podcast honors the Lord and is a blessing to you.